0: Good morning. Come on, perk up a little bit here. Play along with me. And happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. All right, this is, this is going to land in the land of Mother's Day today, but we're going to actually be spending time in 1 Corinthians. But I'm just going to highlight the thought, how many of you guys have been with your mother today and haven't said happy Mother's Day yet? You know, what happens, right? It just happens. So this is that moment for you to just look down the pew or the aisle there and say, Happy Mother's Day, if you have not yet done that. Um, we are going to spend some time ministering to the moms today. Uh, but we're going to do that in conjunction with the word that we are going to preach from 1 Corinthians. So if you are a mom visiting with us, how grateful we are to have you with us today and uh, thanks for taking some time out of your mother's day celebration to be with your family perhaps and to receive an invitation come be among us uh, today we are studying through a portion of the bible called the letter to the corinthians so first corinthians is the letter that we have been spending some time in so if you guys have a bible you can go ahead and open that up to first corinthians chapter one so we are at the beginning one of the things we're paying attention to is the fact that sometimes God wants to talk about things in his word that you and I might not ascribe great value to. It might not be our favorite subject. It might not be something that we're even curious about. But how many of us know that sometimes those are the things that we need to spend the time the most staring at? Just because we haven't figured out that it's important doesn't mean that it's not important, right? It's important for God to put it in his word. Now one of the things that, that we would be seeking to do as a church and, and always from this pulpit, is, is we would be seeking to be uh, gospel-centered in what we're saying, right? We're not just here to give you some tips on how to do life better. We're here to see how our lives are meaningfully connected to Jesus Christ and him crucified, raised from the dead. And the giver of the Holy Spirit into our lives. And so we're not going to ever drift very far from that being what we're talking about in any particular message. This morning runs the risk of sounding a little bit like tips from the Apostle Paul on how to be encouraging. Right? So it's going to sound a little distant from that. But, but here's why this is important. How many of you know that it would be a, a disservice to the Bible... If we walked away from the Bible saying, hey, the Bible is about Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised from the dead, and the giving of the Holy Spirit, and, and then it said nothing about the application or impact or effect of that. It'd be a very short Bible, by the way. It doesn't take a lot of space to explain who Jesus Christ was and what he did, on our behalf and how that restores us to God but the Bible then spends a lot of time talking about hey what about the impact of that on our lives what about the transformational realities that come to us what about the fact that you and I get to escape the orbit that we live in that's just orbiting us all the time all about us what about that dimension of the Bible well, well, that's, that's an important dimension of what Corinthians is doing, right? I, I think I put this quote up a couple of weeks ago. Can we pull up that thought from Ben Witherington? Uh, if we are to characterize 1 Corinthians as either a problem-oriented letter or a progress-oriented letter, then it must surely be placed in the former category. Paul is still having to sort out a multitude of basics for the Corinthian church, As we turn to detailed analysis of the letter, we pick things up midstream. Paul, listen, is in the midst of trying to create community. You read this letter, there's an agenda here. And and Paul's going to spend a lot of time talking about the creation of community. Community. The relating of people one with another. The coming together for the sake of bringing glory to God as a together entity. He will spend quite a bit of time from that. That doesn't mean he's ignoring. As a matter of fact, he's going to highlight Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's going to say something that sounds like an anomaly. I've desired to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he spends an enormous amount of time teaching them how to be a community. Those things must be related. Related. There must be something about knowing Christ that that is, is going to be embodied in our community with one another. And if you make that dysfunctional or you make it not work really well, then it's going to hamper our ability to come to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified on our behalf. And what that means... For us. So I want us to pay particular attention today to an aspect of this that we're going to highlight. I titled the message this morning, Encouragement is Always Encouraged. And I'm going to come back to you, mothers, in this regard. Because if, if there is a task that is taken for granted in the universe, it is motherhood. And I'll explain to you why that happens. Moms, why you are on the receiving end this morning of overdue, overlooked, unspoken gratitude in your lives. It's just a fact. I know it's a fact. And I'll explain a little bit of that later on as we seek to apply some of this to you. But we want this to be an encouragement to you. But it is lessons from the Apostle Paul on the essentials of encouragement. So let's read from the beginning of this problematic book that Paul is writing to these folks gathered in Corinth, starting in verse 4 of chapter 1. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched Lord. Well, Father, we want to see what you tucked away in these passages for us. And we can only do that, Lord, not because we're smart or have better insights than someone else does or work harder or have greater effort, Lord, but we can do that only by your grace through the Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Stephen, um, opens his thought on this section in his commentary on Corinthians he says though the letter will go on to reveal significant issues within the Christian community of the Corinthian community Paul begins with a note of profound and surprising encouragement encouragement is a basic human need Few people flourish in the absence of affirmation, approval, or some external declaration of worth. Stop. And I'm going to to sit down in these thoughts for a moment. Because I'm very aware of my own tendency. I'm very aware of my need through my life to grow in this category. And to still grow in this category. I, I, I am much more skilled in noticing what needs to be corrected in you than I am in noticing what needs to be encouraged in you. Amen. I just I just don't get those two right very often. And I don't know how you are, if you were visiting right now and say, hey yo, what, what's encouragement sounding like for me? Can I put my finger on correction faster than I can put my finger on encouragement as I've related to others? Right, but, but keeping in mind, this is just helpful. Encouragement is a basic human need. Right? Everybody gets that corrections a basic human need, right? Anybody just not get that? That, you know, you're raising kids, you're doing community, you're in a relationship with somebody, something goes wrong and you feel like it's right to correct that. Does anybody kind of get this idea that, that no, no, we shouldn't. We should just let people be totally out of control. No, we recognize they need some correction. Okay, well, they need encouragement. Few people flourish in the absence of affirmation, approval, or some external declaration of worth. We long to be inherently valued, to have someone say, I approve of who you are. We want to be respected for the contributions that we make. I approve of what you do. And we long deeply for assurance that the direction we are heading is, is one worthy of our investment and commitment. Paul will have to say some hard things to the Corinthians in the pages ahead. So he begins his letter with a surprising, well-rounded dose of encouragement. All right, now I want to recognize up front, there's a little bit of a dilemma in this. Right, this little phrase that he uses, the... Uh, approving or affirming of others presents a behind-the-scenes dilemma. I don't know if you've thought this through, but I think what I'm about to say is very accurate. There's a little bit of a dilemma to be a Christian and to affirm and approve of others. There's a little bit of a dilemma. Here, I wrote it out in your outline. This is a significant dilemma in the Christian universe. This is not a joke. I know I'm saying it like it is. It's not a joke. Christianity is defined by right belief. Everybody get that? If you don't believe the right things, you cannot be a Christian. If you've not repented and put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, I don't, know what, I don't care what label you put on yourself, you are not a Christian. So that's pretty critical, isn't it? That we get our beliefs right, and that other people get their beliefs right. History has taught us that right practice also matters. Study the church for a few moments and you'll find that when the church begins to stop practicing the truths of scripture and they begin to drift into other ways of thinking and doing and welcoming other ways, manners and practices and philosophies, the church begins to veer off course. There's a reason why you have things like the dark ages in human history. Dark because the light of scripture had been smothered out by other ideas and pushed aside. And darkness begin to prevail. So, so it matters what you believe and it matters what you practice, right? So we get that. Thus, it is hard to approve of who you are when what you are believing or practicing is not right. Do you feel the dilemma a little bit? Most of us are living in this dilemma. I just don't know if you've ever broken it up into pieces and thought about this. There are people in our life who believe wrong and live wrong. It's like we don't want to run the risk of affirming the wrongness about you. So we just go silent in offering much encouragement. All right, I'm not saying this is an easy situation to solve. I'm just questioning whether the silence is the right approach. The people that are in your life. Your spouse, your children, your neighbor, your cousin, fellow church members. It can be a dilemma for us to come alongside their life and to bring encouragement, approval, affirmation when we, our sensor goes off and we know they believe the wrong thing. They believe the wrong thing. Or they're living a lifestyle that is wrong. I'm not saying that we don't care that they believe the wrong thing and we don't care that their lifestyle is wrong because you do recognize we're about to dig into the Apostle Paul's thought to the Corinthians. He's going to spend a lot of time adjusting their belief and their lifestyle. A lot of time. So this is not a message that says, Keith, have you gone like bipolar here? Uh, All of a sudden it doesn't matter what we believe and what we practice. No, no. But you got a dilemma on your hands, and you need to figure out how to not be silent when it comes to encouraging people. And I have to figure that out too. I've got to figure out how to have people in my world who believe the wrong thing and do the wrong thing, but they still hear me encouraging them. Because that's what Paul's going to model for us here. There's something in us for some reason that we have figured out that correction is vital. Right, you're a Christian, you get around somebody who's got some strange belief system in their life. Like sirens go off and some mmm, I need to figure out a way how to correct, how to correct, right? We know stuff needs to be corrected. Why are we so slow to realize stuff needs to be encouraged as well? And hopefully this will help us a little bit today. So here's some ingredients of encouragement from the Apostle Paul. Look in verse 4. <clears throat> All right. Remembering where this book is going, a lot needing to be corrected, but look at what he manages to pull off saying to these people who we know are a difficult bunch of folks. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you. Right, there's something spilling over in the Apostle Paul's life here. Right? This, this doesn't work that today you heard a message on encouragement and then you, you sort of put that on in some required way and everybody around you starts noticing you've got some plastic form of encouragement going on because you're, you, know, you, you heard a message that obligates you to do that now. I don't think that's what's going on here with Paul. I think for Paul there is something in his heart that he genuinely feels this way. And this is not an easy group for him to be able to say, I give thanks to my God always for you. Because the you on the other end of that are a bunch of difficult people in his life. They've created extra work for him. They've been wayward. They've been stubborn. They've been critical of him. They have talked behind his back. I mean, I'll love that, right? you discover somebody's been talking behind your back. Not just talking behind your back, but undermining who you are to others. Saying things about you that aren't even true. Repeating things that you supposedly said in a way that puts you in a bad light, and that's not what you said. That's what's happening with the Apostle Paul, with the you people, that he's saying, I give thanks to my God always for you. Right, so if I'm going to learn to be an encourager, right, this is bigger than just saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm more critical than I'm encouraging. I need to learn to do that differently. You're, you're going to need to learn more than that. You're going to need to learn for it to be genuine, for it to come from a heart that actually does celebrate something about people that are in our lives. Like, you know, people that are walking with us in the church, alongside of our lives, uh, they don't they don't want some mere professional christian courtesy kind of thing some soundbite words that that they sense aren't really sincere but you've got some formula going on you figured out you got to say two or three things nice to them you try to figure out what that is and then sometimes that can that can feel that way i think people in the church come across something that starts to feel like conditional involvement You can be in a church and because the church preaches and I'll take as much responsibility and blame as needs to go around. uh, Part of this is the the dilemma because we're supposed to preach right belief and right living. We're supposed to preach that. But when you sit in a church that has right belief and right living, unbeknownst to us, that becomes this standard by which we will or will not approve or affirm of others. Do you have the right belief and the right living patterns for me to feel comfortable to say something encouraging to you? So we start feeling like this very conditional community. Right? Is your life right in this category and that category? And those are my categories, you know. Not everybody's categories are the same. Those are my categories. And so, oh, I can say something. I'll brag on you to others. I'll tell, oh, have you seen, oh, oh. That starts feeling like, and a matter of fact, if you've ever been on the receiving end, either of never being encouraged or being conditionally encouraged, you'll, you'll pick up the stink eventually. And eventually, even the things that people applaud about you, you'll, you'll begin to sort of resent that because all their advertising is, oh, I, I finally met your standard. Oh, well, thank you. That feels so good that you are now approving of me. You didn't approve of me when I was struggling. And you didn't approve of me when I was not showing up in your category. But now that I do, oh, how nice of you to notice me. And that's what the church can start feeling like. You get what I'm saying? It's not a fun place to be when that happens. Rosario Butterfield has written a book recently called The Gospel Comes with a House Key book about hospitality which, which is much more than just opening your home although it's very much that it's, it's opening your life it's, it's how to give people access to you and, and you to build bridges into their lives Right? she says in our post Christian world where the Christian faith is dismissed or despised or where Christian values are seen as the enemy of compassion care and diversity Right, that's, that's a reality. Now, now we would say, but that's not fair. And that, that's not accurate even. And, and that's true. I get that. That's not true. That, that we are these lack of compassionate, lack of caring people. As a matter of fact, the, the, the world is littered with the care of the Christian people all over the planet. But somewhere along the way in our right beliefs and our right lifestyle, we have jettisoned humanity in some kind of a way like we're not human with people anymore we don't get their humanity and we don't take their humanity into account we just we just notice you believe the wrong thing and live the wrong way And, and we're quick on that and so all we sound like is people who lack compassion lack care and don't know what to do with diversity I'm not sure the last part isn't too true I don't know if we know what to do with diversity amongst people who are very much like us but they're just kind of different in a couple of categories, right? I mean, how do you do affirming, approving, and encouraging people who, who don't share your values in your special categories? Right? There's some people who struggle to encourage somebody because you don't parent the way I do. You don't, you don't share my view of parenting. You, you don't practice leading and caring for your family the way that I lead and care for my family. So, silence. How's the silence coming from me toward you? Because I can't seem to find anything else about your life that I could applaud or approve of. Or marriage. Or the way somebody else dresses versus the way you dress. You've got certain values, and that person shows up dressed different, lifestyle has some different pieces to it, and like that's all you can see now, and you don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to affirm or approve because they're out of bounds in the category of life, and, and that paralyzes me, in silence. I, I'm just not sure we should be so silent in these categories. We have jettisoned compassion and humanity. We are are oddballs in this category. The world sounds like they are more encouraging sometimes than the church does because we can't seem to figure out how to get this right. The Apostle Paul is getting it right. It's interesting, Rosaria says this in her book. She says, we must work hard to know who our neighbors are and, and how they struggle we, we want to show respect and a helping hand. Christians often misunderstand this. Often Christians ask me, how can I love my neighbor without misleading her into thinking I approve of everything she does? Stop. Have you ever had that dilemma on your hands? Your son or your daughter have just done something, made a lifestyle choice that you don't know what to do with. Your cousin, somebody in the church, your next door neighbor, there's something about their life that sticks out that you're like, "Ah, I don't know what to do with that. I don't even know how to be around that person. Because we're afraid we're going to approve of everything she does. Rosario goes on and says, this this lady's got quite a way with words. First, remember that Christians cannot give good answers to bad questions. (laughs) No one approves of everything others do. No one. It's a false question. Do you approve of everything everybody does? No. No. So what's the deal with the person who's in a category of life, in a belief system, thinking something, and then we want to come alongside them and find some means of being encouragement, but we're paralyzed. Well, until you check this box off that you believe this, and until your life is practicing these four things, silence. Is that right? I know it's complicated, but I'm just not sure it's right. Paul finds a way to engage a people with a list of issues and lack of lifestyle and confused belief. And yet he still manages to find a way to show up in an encouraging way in their life. Even though he at some point is going to correct all kinds of things in their lives. So these things can go together, apparently. All right? second ingredient here. On in verse 4. A God-centered awareness of the setting. Right, people, settings. How God centered am I about what's going on in that place, in that person, in that setting of life? I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Paul gazes into the Corinthians world, into their life with all of its dysfunction and disorder, and he notices things that he can applaud. He notices that in this setting where there's a lot of human mix-up, there's also divine grace on the scene. He manages to stare into their world, if you will, do a, break out his Sherlock Holmes and look around at some evidence and he finds God's fingerprints all over stuff. God is at work in this place where there's so much stuff going wrong, God is at work in this place. In Acts chapter 11 verse 23, we get this quick thought and it's significant, I think, that it comes from a man named Barnabas whose, whose name means son of encouragement says, when he came, speaking of Barnabas, and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Barnabas shows up in Antioch and and he's, he's like a guy looking for the grace of God. Where is God at work? Where do I see God affecting things, planting things, awakening things, adjusting things, strengthening things? And he sees it You know, sometimes when you're looking for stuff, you see it, right? Charles Spurgeon says, it's something to be thankful for God's goodness to yourself, but it's a higher virtue to be thankful for God's goodness to others. How grateful we might be all day long if we had quick eyes to see the grace of God in our fellow Christians. And if we bless God for it whenever we saw it. There are some whose eyes are much more quick to see imperfections than to see graces. No, come on, Charles, really? You know somebody like that? Poor guy. It's a pity to have such jaundiced eyes as that. May we have good, sound, clear, gracious eyes which will see all the good there is in our fellow believers. And may we then ascribe it all to God and bless and praise him for it. God is at work in people's lives. It is our duty and obligation. Remember, Paul is trying to create community. And, And if we want to be a community and we want to experience community, it is our calling to notice the grace of God that is present among us. Otherwise, we will quench community among us. He says in verse 5 that you were enriched. You were enriched in all speech and all knowledge, right? There's something here to be encouraged. There's a unique thing that God has injected into the Corinthians. Speech and knowledge, right? These are loaded phrases. We'll unpack them as we move through the book. But there's something here. Can can I also say there's something extremely dysfunctional for them in those very same categories. It's almost amazing that Paul would choose to compliment something that for them is also so problematic. How many of you guys have ever been restrained to compliment someone because you're afraid that it's going to make them proud? And then it's kind of funny to be on the receiving end having somebody explain that to you, which I have had people explain that to me. Oh, man, I just, I wanted to say oh, how much that meant or how effective that was or how much that helped. I mean, uh, I just didn't want it to go to your head. Oh. Thank you. I'm, I'm sort of encouraged by that. <laughs> Right? We have this tendency with people like, you know, our kids or whatever. We kind of notice that, you know, if they're good in an area, well, if they're good in the area, they could start to think a bit much of themselves. So, silence. <laughs> I'm not sure that fixes anything. I'm not sure, right? You don't, you know, when, when pride sticks its way out, you don't go silent to correct it, do you? I notice pride and I'm going to bring that up with you and I'm going to address that with you. But when they do something encouragement-worthy, silence. Because I'm, no, not only am I managing encouragement toward you, I am also managing your pride. I feel a divine call to manage your pride. And I don't want to add any fuel to your pride. So I'm not going to say anything to you, even though there's something here that could be encouraged. Uh, does this sound like we're getting this from the Bible? <laughs> but it is how we sort of create encouragement silence among us. These guys were enriched in particular categories. All right, we, we've already cheated. We know these guys a little bit. How many of us know they were rich in some categories and dirt poor in others? Do we know that about the Corinthians? They were. How many of you know that's, that's true among the people of God today? you got people who are rich in some categories and dirt poor in others all at the same time. All right, if you haven't encountered this in your small group, covenant group setting, I don't know what it is about these things. They go together somehow, right? You've got some people who are rich in seeing personal disciplines, spiritual disciplines, the practice of holiness, adjustment of lifestyle. There's a lot about their life that they have changed. And they've been rescued out of all kinds of worldly dimensions that used to characterize who they are. And that's, that's no longer present in their life. But what's noticeably poor in their life is they, they, they never share the gospel with, with anyone. They're not very robust in seeking people who are lost, engaging people who are lost, creating opportunities and conversations and relationships that give the gospel, an opportunity to get exported into their world, right? So rich and poor, all at the same time. And when a Bible turns around and says, go into all the world and make disciples, that's not a category you want to be poor in, is it? That's not an acceptable category for poverty. And then you've got, in, you know, right across, sitting across from you in the covenant group is somebody whose richness and poorness is the opposite of that. Right, you got people who, every time they open up their life and they share with you in their small group, it's about some struggle, some problem, some place they shouldn't have been, something they shouldn't have watched on TV. Uh, they've struggled in the past with alcohol, and here they go again. Uh, right, so they've got all this vice going on. They're poor in this category. But that same person, every week they come in, they've got a story to tell you about, someone they've shared the gospel with. Oh, I was in the store the other day. Oh, I ran into somebody. Oh, I mean, just one week after another. They've shared the gospel with more people in a month than you have in your entire life. But they're a little poor in another category. Kind of don't have it together here. They're a little bit of a mess going on in their life. Do Do you encourage that guy? If you're that guy, do you encourage that first set of people who... Right, when people don't, when they don't show richness in some categories, it's like we just we just can't find a way to encourage them because, oh, I don't wanna, you know, well look what he was doing last week. Jeez, that put a black eye on the gospel for sure. I don't even know how anybody take you serious when you share the gospel with them. Right? That's what wants to come out of us. We don't what, we don't manage to let come out of us the fact that this guy's overcome any kind of fears and restrictions that are restraining some of us from sharing the gospel. That's in us, operating in us. I, don't, I just don't think silence is the right way to fix that, is it? And we just need to encourage one another, even though we have our own set of weaknesses. Look at verse 7. Here's what Paul notices, the enrichment that's unique to them. He notices the spiritual gifts that are operating in their midst. He, he's looking for this stuff. He's looking for things that he can say, Boom! that's exciting. Look at what God is doing in your midst. Look at how you guys are receiving something from God. And he highlights spiritual gifts in their midst. I mean, have you read the rest of Corinthians? They they were both exceptional and dysfunctional all at the same time in this category of spiritual gifts. They did some of it right. And then they overused some, neglected others, looked down on some people because they didn't have the same spiritual gifts that they had. These guys, Paul, you sure you want to applaud the spiritual gifts? Maybe why do you stay away from that? Don't touch that thing. Look at what they're doing. Don't, oh, Paul, don't encourage that. But that's how, but he, but he does. You know, sometimes God is doing more in settings than... Just the dysfunctional part. And sometimes even when things are dysfunctional, God is still at work in that very dysfunction in a way that needs to be noticed and appreciated. And listen, I don't do this well, right? I I know a particular guy in the body of Christ that he stares at the charismatic world where there are spiritual gifts operating. And once he locates dysfunction and them being done poorly, it's like he can't find anything good to say about them anymore. And I I know I can be guilty of that. I can find dysfunction in people's spiritual lives, their spiritual teaching, what they're doing, and and just fail to see any way that God is at work there. Uh, Boy, if there was a guy who should have done that, it was Paul. And he doesn't do that. He he finds fingerprints of God, even in the categories where everything wasn't clean and tidy. so I I think we can learn some helpful lessons here. Uh, Next thought on encouragement. Encouragement uses a wide angle lens versus a zoom lens. If you're going to encourage things, you might need to take off that zoom lens that you normally operate in. That zooms in on the two or three things about human beings that you have prioritized. And use a wide angle lens that includes many of the things that God says are valuable and true. He says in verse 6. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Really Paul? With these guys? Amidst all the suing one another and sexual immorality and overlooking each other, man, they can't even come together and eat communion right, for goodness sake. You see the testimony about Christ was confirmed among them? Well, yeah, Keith, if you open your eyes and look for life, you might see it. Charles Spurgeon says it was very wise of Paul to thus praise these Corinthians where they could be praised for he was about to abrade them and reprove them for many things which were not pleasing to God right so this is not a one mode setting right okay we're going to all abandon any form of correction now we're all going to move into encouragement mode now we're supposed to do both and he's going to do both and we should learn to do both if you have the unpleasant duty of rebuking those who deserve it Always take care that you begin by saying all that you can and all that ought to be said in their favor. It will prepare the way for what you have to say for them afterwards. I I seldom disagree with Charles Spurgeon. I partially disagree with him on this one because of the way he said it. If you have not developed a lifestyle of engaging people this way to only bring encouragement as the warm-up band for correction... The people in your life will smell that out immediately and they will listen to your encouragement waiting for the other shoe to drop. All right, so they know mom and dad only show up and say, "Huh, oh, you know, this is great, and this is great, and this is great. They're almost like... <tick noise> okay, now why are we really talking? Here's why. Last Friday, you know... Uh, so th- this is not a technique. This has got to be a lifestyle that we develop a sense of genuine gratitude in our hearts, an ability to see the grace of God activity in people's lives. And we comment on that. Sometimes we comment on that without any correction being on the tail end of it. And then sometimes there is correction on the tail end of it. Now listen, this is, this is going to find its way into parenting relationships, our spouses, the community that we're building here. Anytime that you're building community this is, this is a pretty important thing. Right? There are going to be people in our lives that need for us to bust out the wide-angle lens and take a picture of their life and notice all kinds of stuff in it. Instead of the zoom lens, that just kind of says, Last Friday, which by the way, I've got a file on all the other Fridays. So can I bring that up while we're talking about last Friday? Because this is about the 18th time you've done this. Yes, I am counting. Uh, <laughs> But is there a wide angle lens anywhere that says there's about 18 things that are really, really going well in your life that I affirm, I approve of? Right? Parents, this is an informative verse for us. I don't know. Somehow we think our own children are going to escape the implications of this verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, as Paul defines the function of ministry in the local body, that it's trying to help something, it's trying to address something, it's trying to equip something. He says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, right? If you just stop right there, until we all attain, what does that, what does that tell you? We're not there yet. Thank you, Ronnie. We're not there yet. So how shocking should it be, parents, when your children exemplify the fact that I'm not there yet? They're in the Bible. They're right here in this verse. It's called immaturity. There's a process through which our life morphs and changes and grows. But along the way, it's not a finished product. And people are in our lives not finished products, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." All right, now, this holds out something for us to aim at. That's what this verse does. It says, God has given gifts and leaders in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that this can become our experience. But what it also teaches is you are on your way there. You are not fully there. And, we, and Paul started with identity, right? We talked about identity last week, I think it was. Right, so there's things that are made true about us, but our experience is not yet there yet. And we walk with one another. And so, so should we be shocked that our children are immature and moving through seasons when they do get the other end of this? They do get tossed to and fro by waves and carried by ideas. And they used to be with you. They used to agree with you. They used to be all about what you're about. And then the wind blew in a way that you couldn't figure out where the heck did that come from and why did it catch your attention and they're blown over here now and their life is made of different stuff, they relate to you differently, they feel differently about a lot of things. Right, I'm gonna get back to you mothers here in a minute. But but mothers, that's prime territory for you to go, oh my gosh, what have I done wrong? What did I do that... Didn't protect them from that. You know, there, ain't, there aren't easy answers for that stuff. Because there's nobody in here who's doing everything right. And so if the moment you do anything wrong in another person's life, it opens the door for all kinds of catastrophe, well then I guess all of us are just answer an altar call for massive guilt this morning. Because the facts are, you and I have done things Wrong with people who are in the car with us. And, and if you're not one of those person who says, well, you know, I don't have some resume like some other guys have, you know. I've never been to jail or never cheated or never... Da, da, da. Well, what if I busted out all the things you've neglected to do? What if I made a list and you said, heck, I didn't even know half of that was on there. Oh, okay, so you're ignorant and neglectful. So you can just kind of, just the guilt can be enormous, right? And you can say, okay, well, I guess my ignorance and neglect have resulted in, look at the wheels coming off of their life. You know, the wheels are going to come off of their life. Period. Adam and Eve. You remember them? I don't think God sat around in the Godhead and scratched their head for days and said, what did we do wrong? I can't explain all the nuances of why sin invades and and does what it does in people's lives. But, you you know, play a smaller part. You're not exactly responsible for everything. And Mother's Day is a tough day, isn't it? For moms. Because you can visit that stuff and you can feel a sense of all that's not been done by you or things that you did that were wrong or neglectful. Okay, this verse is telling you this is not yoking it to so this is until we attain to the unity of the faith that there's, there's an attaining, there's a maturing, there's winds of doctrine and ideas blowing, and people get carried along by them. Human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes are out there, and they will touch people's lives, and, and, and they will show up, and they will be in your small group, or they will be your children. And you will have to break out your wide-angle lens and figure out, how do I encourage that? Well, if you're only using a zoom lens, you're going to go silent. Right? Spouses, you are called to walk with and encourage a husband or a wife who is in need of your wide-angle lens view of their life. It's going to be a really nasty habit in marriages, can't it? We are zoom lens specialists. You ever see those cameras that go the giant lenses on them? You can't put them back in the bag. They're just they're giant, right? Just imagine you wake up in the morning. You strap that baby on. Still got your pajamas on. Cup of coffee in your other hand, looking at your spouse like this. Okay, that's kind of like the opposite of what I think we're called to be in people's lives. You know, bust out the wide-angle lens that sees how God is at work and sees how different this person has become and sees how God has touched their life and they've responded in faith and they've taken steps of faith and they used to be some way that they're not anymore. Yeah, I know if you bust out the zoom lens, you're going to find something right here, right now that just, it's not working right. It's terrible. But is there other stuff? So those of you who are married to unbelieving spouses, this is, this is very important and very hard to do, because it goes back to that first thought. I, I don't want He's not a believer, Keith. I mean he does he's not a Christian. All right, well, does that mean you get to silent him? He's an incredible provider. He's amazingly faithful to you. He's sacrificial. My, my dad was, to me, a heroic figure in so many categories. I, I, you know, I'm convinced he only came to faith in the, in the last year and a half or so of his life. But before then, there was so much to appreciate and admire, even though his belief was wrong. And unfortunately, like on, like on Mother's Day, I... I, I Figured out eventually in life what a lousy son I was. To have failed for so many years to not communicate to him. Encouragement about who he was and the impact that his life had had on mine. It wasn't until we started to have kids of our own that I started to realize all the ways that my dad had laid his life down for me. And never made a fuss of it, but it cost him to be who he was to me. And to live the life that he lived and the decisions that he made. And once I clued into that, I never missed an opportunity to write him a card. To, to write long notes of appreciation for him. But listen, you, some of you guys are married to people that you're like, well, you know, but he doesn't believe the wrong thing. And, and, there, and there are some aspects of his life that are not right. Okay, you cannot go silent. Silence is not the response to that. It doesn't mean you give up on right confession and you give up on a life that reflects the glory of God. You're not giving up on that. But silence is not the right thing. People should experience from us a sense of care and compassion and encouragement in their life. Otherwise, we're just weirdos. You try getting somebody's life and the only thing you've ever got to say is, "Uh, You ready to check this box? Read the statement carefully that 's right. Jesus Christ lived and done and you ready to check that box all right we 're just weird I mean we 're just weird people when that happens. We might need to figure out, hey okay, how can I encourage this person? how can I be involved in them that helps in that way? Listen, this is true in in the church as well. If you bust out your zoom lens you walk in here every, every Sunday morning you walk through that back door and you go to your covenant group and you've got this big giant zoom lens on everybody that you come in contact with where were you? jazz fest? <laughs> didn't see you here last week just saying <laughs> uh, alright last thing Encouragement places the ultimate burden where it belongs. This is is why you and I can be encouragers. Because we've got this ingredient operating in us strongly. And Paul did. Verse 7. He mentions Jesus Christ in verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why is it that Paul's not so, oh my gosh, I've got to make sure I'm not encouraged the wrong thing. And I don't don't want to say anything because, you know, they got a lot of dysfunction here. Because he had a big category, a genuinely big category inside of him that he knew God is at work here. And ultimately, he's the one who is faithful. I'm not staring at a great group of faithful people in Corinth my hope is not in them. My hope ultimately is in the God who has called them into fellowship with his son that he's going to be at work to preserve them and work in them guiltless to the end. The God who began a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. So he's staring in the right place. You and I, if we stare at people, this is the man-centeredness that we tend to have. If we stare at people you, you sort of can't find much to be hopeful about in the future. And so, how do you get alongside that and encourage it? But, but what if you saw God in that setting? What if you knew that God was the one who began this work and he is at work and he's good at what he does? Even when it looks like it's not going in the right direction, it's going to land in the right place because of the nature of who God is. All right, well, if I really believe that, it kind of releases me into encouragement. And it also provides for me enormous personal encouragement as well, doesn't it? Paul's going to bring a lot of emphasis. It's going, to be, it's going to be an interesting thing for us to wade through this first chapter. Paul brings so much emphasis on what God does in this human arena. The emphasis is on what God does. The Corinthians aren't doing real well. But Paul's encouraged because he knows the end outcome is not based in what they're going to do. It's based in what God's going to do in them. And so he's released into encouragement as a result of that. So, so these are the ingredients, if you will, that Paul introduces us to as he moves into a letter that's got a lot of stuff that needs to get fixed in it. All right, let me, let me spend some time talking to the, to the moms here for a few moments. All right, so ladies, I'm, I'm not going to make you stand up for this. I had a wife ask, ask me, are you going to make us stand? sonny?" Is that so terrible? I don't know. Is that out of bounds? Uh, Yes, I am going to make you stand in just a minute. I'm just not going to make you stand through everything I'm saying because I don't want your legs to get tired. All right. What what does this mean for you? These essential ingredients of encouragement. How how does this show up in, in your world? Well, one... Genuine gratitude. As Paul spoke to these Corinthians, he, he was mindful to let them know, I give thanks for you always. Right, here would be the challenge of this rather dysfunctional day. Is the people that are in your world, mothers, they're not specialists in gratitude, in giving thanks, in knowing how to best give thanks. And, and if you're not careful, what you take that as is the thought that maybe you haven't done all that much that made an impact on them. All right, can I give a disclaimer here? I had to write this out and make sure I say it right. By the way, I'm going to offend everybody who's a child of a mother right now. just want you to be aware of that. And even you mothers who are children of mothers, you're going to find yourself on the wrong end of this. The level of gratitude communicated is not an accurate reflection of the gratitude that is present. It's more of a reflection of your children's lack of practice and ability to escape the orbit of their own lives. And you guys remember growing up? All right, so if I trace my own existence in this category of how much my mom knew of my gratitude toward her. Well, when you're little, you don't even know it's Sunday, right? Much less it's Mother's Day, or what that even means. And so you kind of got a little bit of an absorption thing going on there, and you just want to go out and play with your friends. Uh, that's about all that seems to make sense. And then you get a little older, and May 13th or May, this time in May, it's finals week. For goodness sake, who planned this? Right? So you're in high school, you're in college, and you're absorbed, in it's, it's finals week. And I'm just, I'm just studying. I'm like, this is, you know, real, real life story. And then you kind of get past that phrase, and, and, and now you've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And all you're aware of is that. You forgot you had a mother. You thought you were from another planet. It's like, I got no roots here. I'm just trying to find my way forward. And he's hot and she's interesting and that's all I'm about. And oh my gosh, today's Mother's Day. No one told me. And it just kind of creeps up on you. And then you you kind of fall in love. You get married and all of a sudden your own family blooms. And again, all the focus is here. And your poor mom is like, hey, you know, remember And no, you're just absorbed in your own world. And at some point, far enough into that experiment, the light comes on. I have parents. (laughs) Whoa. That did a lot for me in my life. That sacrificed and were inconvenienced and never required much from me. And altered their own lives. That's you moms. Unfortunately, most of us are just really, really bad at turning to you and saying that to you. And we have a day here today that can help with that and can make it worse. Right? Because some of you will be profoundly thanked in a way that tries to make up for the other 364 days in the year that that wasn't happening some of you won't even be thanked today that is not a reflection of a lack of gratitude it's a reflection of people who don't know how to live beyond themselves that was true for me growing up and it just took a long time for me to recognize some things because the noise of my own life absorbed me And so today if you didn't do much, I, I stood, I'm one of those people who, you know, if you get behind me in the line, whether you're picking out cards, you're going to be there for a while. I wear my poor kids out. If they go with me to the store to buy a card, it's kind of like, you going to buy a card? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a toy department there? You know, it's like, I'm going to be reading and reading and reading. And, I, and I, maybe I'm just weird in this category where there was one guy next to me and he had, I guess it was his son with him and he kept reading cards and reading cards and commenting, oh, yeah, oh, this is a good one. And he'd talk, and he'd look for more. Oh, oh, oh this one's really good. And I thought, oh, I love this guy. <laughs> 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 oh. there, is a, there is a genuine gratitude in our hearts for you moms. The poor job we do of communicating it should not be received by you as somehow you have done a poor job. Um, You have done outstanding. I don't know if there are other human beings who sacrifice as much of their personal time and efforts and lifestyle and choices and future and possibilities and options in life to give their lives away for others. I I don't know if there are any other people who even come close to what you do. So there is genuine gratitude Um, There's just not skill in sending that to you for your encouragement and for your help uh, I think what Paul does to the Corinthians would be helpful for you as well a God centered awareness that grace has been given to you grace has been given to you, Great grace in all of its beauty and form of enabling you to be the mother that you're called to be but, but sovereign grace as well that has ordained and constructed the life that you are now living in. You, you are not living a random life. Um, your family members were not chosen by lottery, right? There wasn't a Powerball moment where, okay, let me stick this kid in the bucket here with a bunch of other kids. All right, you get that one, and you get that one. Oh, sorry. Uh, you get that one. Um uh, <laughs> The sovereign grace of God has arranged your life. And that screams that there's a purpose in your life. Every day there is a purpose in your life that you are fulfilling for the glory of God. And and that needs to encourage you when life feels like this cannot be right. This is not, this can't be what God wanted. No, no, no. The sovereign grace of God has come to you and you are enriched in ways that you need to serve. They were enriched because God had a purpose for this church to fulfill. They got enriched by the spirit. You have been enriched by God. You have been given the right gifts for you to possess as the individual mom that you're gonna need to walk with the children that you have, the husband that you have, the family setting that you have. And I know this is a real challenge because it can feel like somewhere along the way, you, you skipped the opening day of school when this stuff was given out, right? <laughs> the, the particular tool you were going to need and the particular insight you were going to need. I, it's like, I don't feel like I've got it. I just always feel like I'm going to bat without a bat. I mean, what, what happened here? Okay, that's not true. The truth is the Holy Spirit has given to you the gifts and the abilities and the talents that you needed for that moment to be the mom that God called you to be. Please make sure you are using a wide angle lens as you look at your own life as a mother. And be careful not to break out the zoom lens and only be aware of the ways that you fall short. That you are discouraged that you are lacking patience, you are unkind, you didn't do what the other homeschool mom did, how thoughtful she is, and you are not, apparently. She's a good mom, you're whatever. Listen, you're going to need a wide-angle lens. And you're going to need to remember what it was like to be up at night, sacrificing sleep, Growing children in your womb. Caring for others that were around you. Serving the interest of others at a pace that uh, it it could be grounds for insanity. It really could at some moments. Don't let the moments where you blew up and said the wrong thing. Where you overlooked something and failed to show up in some way that you thought was very significant. that, that, That... can't be you need a wide angle lens on being a mom there's a lot that God has done in you and through you that has been so much grace to others around you and lastly Eric you can come up I don't know where you are be encouraged that ultimately God is at work and God is faithful in and through you accomplish the things that he has set out to do, to give grace into other people's lives through you, ultimately, this does not rest on you. Ultimately, the people in your life, they're not dependent upon you being ultimate. They're depending upon God being ultimate and God being faithful Everything doesn't need to go right or be right about you. That's not true about God. Everything does need to be right when it comes to him. But thank God that's his responsibility. So as you ponder motherhood, and I know that there's a lot of moms here this morning and that you're pondering motherhood today from a lot of different places. For some of you guys, this is a wonderful day. You get to be with your family to celebrate so much observable, loud, good things happening in your life. For some of you, that's, that's not going to be the day you're going to have. For some, you're going to have a, a pretty good day, but it's still going to feel pretty bad. <laughs> Times and seasons have come and gone missed opportunities, right? You're going to sort through all kinds of stuff today. But this room is full and your life is filled with people who have been so encouraged by you in moments that we needed it. Just needed somebody to show up and be there for us. Be faithful. Have something to say that made a difference. So by God's grace, can we bust out a wide-angle lens this morning and pray for you moms with hearts full of gratitude and an awareness that through you and all around you, there is so much grace from God in our lives. So can I ask all the moms that are here this morning, if you would stand up this morning. If those who are close to those moms, especially the family members, that if you're sitting with your mom, if you're on the other side of the auditorium from your mom, you want to move over there, please do. Would you get around them and and pray with me as we pray for them? If you're here this morning and and, uh, if you don't have family with you and you're not a mom and you just see a mom standing by herself somewhere, Can, can you just take this as an opportunity to learn how to encourage, to be intentional about getting out of your own comfort zone and saying, let me go find people that I just, I just want to bring encouragement to them. People need encouragement. So if you're a guy, girl here, and you're not a mom, and you're not praying for your own mom or someone you're really near to, find somebody who's standing who's a mom here and you can help, help me by praying for them as we bow our hearts together alright let's pray I give thanks to my God always for you. Well, we join the Apostle Paul in looking into our own hearts and finding the truth of that for these ladies that are standing in our midst. Knowing the lives that they have lived. And, and the lives that they have given up. Knowing the choices that they made. And the choices they chose not to make. what all that they have invested themselves in. And all that they walked away from. In order to answer a call that you placed on their lives. Lord. These ladies are moms by the sovereign call of God. And so Lord, we just join with them in dragging into the room with us some some helpful encouragement, some awareness that in each one of them, the sovereign grace of God has been at work. And Lord, somehow you have not planned that these settings of moms would be problem free no sin would touch it no one's will would make bad decisions no neglect, no regret no, no Lord, that's not what you chose you have chosen real life, real human struggle excitement and disappointment for Lord you are wanting these moms to turn to you and hope in you to avoid the temptation that makes them think they are ultimate in someone's life. They are not. Lord, this morning, would you encourage moms by taking some of the weight off that they are not ultimate. Ultimately, God is at work and God is faithful and God is calling people sons and daughters. God is doing something that's going to be bigger than what anybody else did. It's going to be more influential. It's going to be more determinative than anything that a human being could do, including a mom. So Lord, would you let some of the weight come off of these moms? Some who are under the weight of the past. Some who look back at early decisions that they wish they could have done differently. God, would you freshly encourage them with an awareness that the God who is faithful didn't need people to be perfect in order for him to accomplish his purpose. God, would you give these moms a wide-angle lens awareness of their lives? So many moments so many means of grace and blessing, provision and care that have been faithfully given into the lives of others. Lord, would you let them be refreshed by lives that have reflected the sun into these families and settings. They've laid their lives down for the good and the benefit of others. Where today we are grateful to have a day to turn our attention to moms and to say thank you and to honor them and to release them from our expectations that they would somehow be perfect. We have not been perfect toward you and you are not required to be perfect toward us and who you have been to us is more generous than what we deserved. And we stand today and we tell God, thank you for my mom, for these moms, for giving them to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.